So some years ago, the London Transport Authority uh, started to receive numerous complaints because their buses were driving past bus stops where it was clear that there were customers waiting to be picked up. There were potential passengers. And so after a while, the, the outroar became so um, mark remarkable that they decided to explain it publicly. And so this was their explanation. It is impossible for us to maintain our schedule if we are always having to stop and pick up passengers. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? But you know, we can laugh at the LTA, but I can guarantee that every one of us has made the same mistake from time to time. In fact, more often than we would like to remember. And Stephen Covey is, is very famous for a quote that he gave um, and, and it's been used repeatedly. His, his quote is, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And of course, the, the London Transport Authority could have avoided a lot of trouble if they'd taken some time to bear in mind that picking up passengers <laughs> was actually at the core of their business. So we're going to recalibrate in a way, set our sights for the year ahead. And the way that we're going to do that is by looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13. And we're going to be learning from this the main thing that we need to keep, the main thing. So I'm just going to read it. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things love never ends as for prophecies they will pass away as for tongues they will cease as for knowledge it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away when I was a child I spoke like a child I thought like a child I reasoned like a child when I became a man I gave up childish ways for now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So we're going to divide this passage into three sections. A principle which states the main thing, a description of the main thing, and then an explanation of why the main thing is the main thing. So the first one is the principle. So the, Corinthians, the Corinthian church valued spiritual gifts, but the problem was that they were using those gifts with selfish motives, and it ended up breaking other people down. And so Paul was addressing this problem, and he was starting to tell them the more excellent way. What is the more excellent way of using the spiritual gifts. And of course, we need to build a little bit of a bridge between what was happening then and what's happening with us today in the church. And so the way to think of it is like this. 
in the Corinthian church, they highly valued spiritual gifts. People would boost their self-worth by using spiritual gifts. In our day and age, it can be other things. And so it might be the ability to get things done, the ability to lead, the ability to be very productive. Whatever it is, whatever it is that we value and that people tend to look at in our society and think that makes that person important, that's what we're talking about today. So maybe you're exploring faith and you haven't come across this concept of spiritual gifts. Um, don't get too bogged down with that. This is, we're talking about things that people in the church value and think give themselves value and self-worth. So what is the principle? The principle is that the main thing with, with whatever it is, whatever gift or ability that we have, we need to be using it with a motivation of love. We need to be using it to love God and to love other people. So, why should we do that? Um, here's the first reason, and Paul gives it there in the first verse. He says, without love, we actually fail to be productive for God. And he uses the gift of tongues to show this point. So, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We can sort of relate to that, but we don't have too many gongs going off around us. But the way to think of this is in terms of, for me especially, uh, is a dog just barking at night. Have you ever had that? You know, you sometimes get those dogs that they just start off and they go, woo, 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 woo. And then you're waiting for it because you know there's going to be another, woo, woo. And then there's a long pause. And then you hear the same, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> That's what he's talking about here. That barking, that clanging of the cymbal is absolutely unproductive, and it's incredibly irritating. And so Paul is saying here, you know, even if you're incredibly gifted, you can speak, he's, he's actually exaggerating here, speak in the, all the tongues of men and in the tongues of angels, but you're speaking without love, without love as a motivation, then it's unproductive. Next thing, he moves on. To, to use the idea of prophetic powers and understanding mysteries and all knowledge. So let's have a look at it there in verse 2. What he's saying here is that without love, we actually fail to be anybody of value in the kingdom of God. Now, even when you hear that, you're probably thinking, oh boy, is there some sort of hierarchy in the kingdom of God? Isn't this exactly the opposite of what we're talking about today? Let's wait and see. So if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, think in terms of doing incredible things. We're not talking literally about moving mountains here. We're talking about doing incredible exploits and the faith that is required to do those incredible exploits. But if we have not love, we are nothing. Prophecy, knowledge, faith, they're all spiritual gifts. And I'd like us to think for a moment about gifts. The thing about gifts is that they're not given to someone on the basis of merit. We simply give gifts with no strings attached. And so it's the same for us. When God gives us a gift, maybe we've got a much more intelligent mind than other people. Maybe we've got an ability to play sport, and we can play sport a lot better than others. Maybe we're very organized. We're an incredibly productive person. These things are gifts. They're not given to us on the basis of our value. 
they're not a measure of our val- of value. No, they're given to us as a gift. And so we should use them to serve other people. The other thing about these gifts is they're not actually given to us for ourselves. They're actually gifts in our hands to be passed on to somebody else. So if someone has the gift of leadership, they're actually using that gift to serve people, maybe the organization that they lead. So this is what we think about when we have a look at this idea of gifts. And so if we don't pass on that gift that we have in a loving way, we are nothing. Because a gift that is actually exercised to build me up will inevitably break other people down. The only way that I can do something and be something in the kingdom of God. So this is not about a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. The only way that I can be something in the kingdom of God is actually by reflecting Jesus. So it's actually not about me. It's about Jesus. And if I'm doing something that is not motivated by love, and Jesus is predominantly love, we know the Bible says that God is love, then how can I be something in the kingdom of God? Because I'm not reflecting the person who is the most valuable person in the kingdom of God. And so that's the way we'll only become something in the kingdom of God when we're using our gifts in a loving way to serve other people. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Mark 9, 35. Spiritual gifts are given to serve others and not to serve yourself. The problem is that we often use these gifts and abilities and talents that we've been given to us, and we we had absolutely no say about whether we would get them or not. They're inherited maybe from our genes or whatever it happens to be. The problem is that we use those gifts, those talents, as tools to build ourselves up because we want to be people of worth. We want to be people of value. We want to be loved by others. And so we use those gifts in the wrong way. And then, of course, we're not using them in a loving way. But the thing is, what if? What if you are already acceptable to God? What, what if you're already a person of incredible value? What if God loves you? So much that he sent his son to die on a cross and take the punishment for your sins. Folks, if that's the case, if we have been adopted into God's family, then we don't need to prove anything with respect to our self-worth. We don't need to earn love from anybody because we already have love from God. We are rooted and grounded in love. And that's why Paul prayed that prayer that I read at the beginning because he wanted us to grasp this thing which is almost so incredible that we can't grasp it. And we certainly won't grasp it unless the Holy Spirit helps us. So in 2024, just pray that prayer for yourself and your loved ones. Ask God to help you to see how much he loves you and how valuable you are, not because of anything intrinsic in you, but because of the value that he attributes to you. So without love, we fail to be productive for God, and we fail to be someone of value to God. We can only be someone of value to God when we are accurately reflecting Jesus. And then the last gift that Paul refers to is the gift of giving. 
If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. The Bible is very clear. And we should live in such a way as to qualify for an eternal reward. Everywhere that you look through the Bible, especially when Jesus is teaching, he uses the idea of, a, of an eternal reward to encourage us. So, for example, there's this place in Matthew 6 where he's giving a sermon on a mountain so that he could speak to lots of people. And he keeps saying over and over again, if I give away to the poor so that everybody else can see, then I will receive my reward on earth. But if I do it so that my left handers know what my right hand is doing, I will receive my reward in heaven. And he goes on, he talks about fasting, um, giving this other prayer as well. Don't, don't necessarily do it in a showy way to get your reward on earth because people think, oh, you know, Ian's a good guy and you'll receive your reward on earth. We don't want it on earth. We want it in heaven. If our life's work is not motivated by love, we're not going to uh, not going to earn anything eternal from it. Those of you who got NIV Bibles, there's a footnote which explains that some of the early manuscripts of Corinthians read here, "If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body that I may boast." Uh, rather than what some translations say, scholars think that this might be a reference to actually um, selling yourself into slavery so that you could give the proceeds to the poor. Can you see what an extreme example Paul is using here? He's saying, you know, even if you do that, even if you sell your body into slavery and give the money to the poor, it's going to benefit the recipients. It's not going to benefit you in the slightest if you haven't done it in love. So the main thing when we're exercising the spiritual gifts is to be motivated by love. But folks, we can apply this principle to the whole of life. As Christians, the main thing is to be motivated by love. That's the main thing to keep the main thing in 2024. Love is a measure of your value as a dad. It's a measure of your value as um, a, a, a work person, someone at work. Um, it's a measure of your value as a friend, as a mother, as a home group leader, as a preacher, whatever it is. Folks, we need to be writing eternal deposits in the ink of love because those are the only ones that work. If they're written with the pen of self-interest, that check is definitely going to bounce in heaven. But what does this love that Paul expects from the Corinthians actually look like? And we're going to have a look at this description in verses 4 to 7. There's a lot in there, and I'm just going to pick out a few of them. But I'd just like to read from Romans 13, 8 to 10. It's not on the overhead, so don't panic. Um, because I think this sums it up really well, if we want to know what love is. You know, I was chatting to someone just the other day, and they were saying, there's someone in my family who's just very difficult to like, and I don't know whether I, I love them. And so we, we had a little bit of a chat about it, and you'll see from this um, what the answer to that question is. Owe no one anything except to love each other. This is Romans 13, verses 8 to 10. Romans 13, 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Remember the law is about how to live in a way that pleases God. If you want to please God, then be loving. 
for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So you can start to see here, this is a peg that we can hang our thoughts on. What is love? Well, it's treating our neighbor the way we would like to be treated. Here's another idea as well from Matthew 7, verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's often called the golden rule. Just treat people the way you would like to be treated. Folks, I'd like you, as a challenge, to carry out what, what we could call a love audit. And do it today. Choose a time and a place where you won't be interrupted for about 20 minutes. And then invite the Holy Spirit to work with you as you read verses 4 to 7 there in, um, in 1 Corinthians 13. And as you go through it, just substitute the word love for your own name. Put your own name in there and ask yourself whether what you're reading is true for you in the different areas of your life, whether it's family or work, whether it's church. Ian is patient and kind, and so on and so forth. And I'd like to just highlight some aspects of these verses sort of based on my own love audit. The first one. Love is patient. Patience means bearing up under suffering. So if we're being patient, we're bearing up under some sort of discomfort. And so when we are being patient with someone that we are loving, we're bearing up maybe they're under, underneath um, some suffering of maybe their sinfulness or their awkwardness or their painfulness. People be can be quite painful. We don't necessarily like everybody. But you know, love is not about liking people. It's about bearing with them, standing with them. And perhaps the best example of this is um, from time to time, since I've been a teenager, I've, got, I've, I've battled with bouts of depression. And fortunately, God has just been helping me so much as time has, has gone on and, you know, with managing that. But there was a time when I was just a, or there have been times, <laughs> probably more than one girl will, you're not allowed to nod your head, love, um, when I've just been difficult to live with. Um, I can remember on one occasion we, we went to a function and, and one, of the, one, of, one of the symptoms of the depression is I really would battle being around people, especially big crowds. And uh, afterwards, Gail and I had this, this argument in the car park. It was quite a heated argument and it was entirely my fault. Um, and the, the funny thing was that after it had finished, we got into the car, and then I said to Gail, oh my word, there's a lady sitting in, in the car next to us. Did you realize that? And Gail looked across, and she says, yes, it's someone from the Christian Counseling Center. Um, she, she's a part of the When Loving Hurts group. <laughs> but sometimes loving does hurt. You know, Gail's had to put up with me. But isn't that what I would want? I, I, I want people to put up with me when I'm going through my sinful times. I want them to still be there for me. So wouldn't we do the same thing for others? We need to do that. We need to treat other people the way we would like to be treated. So love is patient. It's hard to bear with the sins and folly of others. We actually want to treat people the way they deserve to be treated. But we shouldn't do that 
we should treat them the way they don't deserve to be treated. If someone is treating us badly, that doesn't give us permission to be sinful. What's the thing that parents always say? Two wrongs don't make a right. That's what we're talking about here. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You know, one of the toughest things I find in ministry is, is often dealing with disappointment in other people. But I'm sure that we all struggle with it. And sometimes this disappointment that we have in our minds is actually not based on the truth. It's based on some story that we're telling ourselves that is not true. And so we've just got to make sure that we don't keep a record of wrongs. Don't hold things against people. Love is patient. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Is your work life characterized by patience? It's a good question. But that leads into the next one. Love is not easily angered. One of the things I've noticed about being a man, and I've noticed in other men as well, is that we're not comfortable with a lot of emotions. But the one emotion that we're fairly comfortable with is anger. Because it seems manly to get angry. So whereas we might be hurt or offended, we just resort to anger. Folks, we must be honest and true with ourselves. Let's not resort to anger when, it, when we're actually feeling hurt. And it might be some other emotion that we're feeling. Love is not easily angered. Another thing that I've noticed in my own life is that sometimes I use anger as a strategy. Maybe I've been, I've been battling with something or some issue with another person, and I keep bottling it up, keep bottling it up, and then I use anger as a way of communicating and trying to solve the problem. How does that work out? Not so good. It really doesn't. And we can use anger to manipulate our family members because we can just simply get more angry than them and dominate and control them. This happens in businesses as well, especially when, when um, the person involved is a leader and they have more power than other people. They can easily use anger to manipulate other people. That's not a loving thing to do. Let's not be easily angered. And then the next one, love is not self-seeking. You know, this is, this is the heart of love. If we're going to treat other people the way we would like to, tr to be treated, then we need to be other people focused, not self-seeking. Isn't that what the heart of love is? So let's sum up what we've learned so far. We've learned a principle. The main thing in life is to be motivated by love. And this is the main thing that we've got to keep the main thing in, in the coming year. And then we spent some time describing love. And in essence, love is selfless. It's seeking the good of others first, treating others the way we would like to be treated. Remember I mentioned that conversation that I'd had a few days ago. We, we don't need to be feeling something when we love somebody else. In fact, often when we're loving someone else, we'll be feeling impatience. We'll be feeling irritability. We'll be feeling anger. But we don't treat them according to that. We treat them according to love. We don't, we don't need to like everybody in our lives. And even if you don't like someone, don't get hard on yourself and think that you're not being loving. Because if you're, if you're working towards that person's good, then you are being loving. If you're treating them the way you would like to be treated, then you are being loving. It's not an emotion. It's a commitment expressed in action. So let's close now with an explanation. Love never fails. Why does it never fail? For it will always remain and is the greatest 
Christian characteristic. Paul answers the question with this very short but weighty statement, love never fails. Do you see it there in verse 8? And then he goes on to explain what he means by that. Love never fails, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But love never fails because it applies on earth before the return of Christ and also in heaven after the return of Christ. You know, some things are temporal. They're not going to last forever. And verse 8 emphasizes through repetition that the gifts will not be needed forever. There will be no need for our spiritual gifts in heaven. Why would we need to have a gift of knowledge when we're in heaven? Why would we have to have a gift of prophecy when we're in heaven? Folks, you know, even if God gave you the most amazing gift of knowledge or the most amazing prophecy which came true, you would still only know in part. Your knowledge would be incomplete. It would be like looking in one of those ancient mirrors, because in those days they didn't have mirrors like the ones that we have. They would take a piece of brass and polish it up very highly, and you would look in that polished brass to see your face, and you would only see yourself incredibly dimly. So I'd just like you to take a moment, folks, to think about your life. Everything that you're involved in is temporal. Everything that you're involved in will come to an end. Your present life, like the gifts of the Spirit, they all have an expiry date. Everything in your life has an expiry date. Your work has an expiry date. Your marriage has an expiry date. Your family, your friends, your hobbies, everything has an expiry date. Everything is incomplete. But only one thing is going to last, and that is love. We need to make so sure that we are rooted and grounded in love and that we're engaged in that process of comprehending what God's love is like. Because this is a difficult thing to implement. In fact, it's, it's very unnatural for us as human beings to love others. It's only by being reborn in the likeness of God that we can start to produce the fruit of love. It's only as we get rooted and grounded in love that we are going to be able to love other people in the way that Paul is challenging us to. I'd just like to close by reading uh, a poem written by C.T. Studd, a very famous missionary. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays, a days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last.
Shall we pray? Father, as a congregation, we just want to commit ourselves to producing the fruit of love. Lord, please help us. Please work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be motivated by love in the year ahead. Just may everything that we do be motivated by a desire to serve others and to treat them the way that we would like to be treated. Father, we, we know that this is impossible without your health, but thank you that we are rooted and grounded in love. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.